The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Let me give you just a little history. When uh, the search committee was uh, first talking to me about coming here to First Conyers, there were two key things that the search committee had identified through our history where we were as a church body as to where we were to move. And as we were engaging in conversation, I sensed that the Lord has, had given a mandate to the search committee based on your election of the search committee in that search. And there were two key things that you all identified as a church, recognizing and realizing that we just can't do it the way we've always done it. There were two key things. Number one, we looked at our community and recognized that in recent years, our community had changed drastically in demographic makeup. And we knew that if we were going to be a local church that God had planted here some 187 years ago, that we needed to be representative, representative of what our community reflected, and that was that we take some essential steps, if you will, and intentionality of becoming a multi-ethnic church to reflect the community. Would everybody say amen to that? The second thing was that this church recognized that the days of building and they will come and let's have new programs that keep generating and just wear out the body is no longer effective because we recognize that we were not making disciples who make disciples. And I'm not sure if... if uh, we recognize this fully, but Jesus, just on his last time with his disciples before he was ascending to the Father, he gave a very specific command, not an option, where he said, go and make disciples. He did not say go and build buildings. I'm thankful for this building and praise God we are that close to being debt free. He did not say go out and make programs and continue to make new programs so that publishers can have more material to publish so that they can meet the bottom line in their business structure. He said go and make disciples. One of the greatest, no, not one, the greatest joy in my Christian life of 30 plus years now, has been engaged in going and making disciples who make other disciples. I, I love all that there is involved in the Christian life. I, I, I couldn't think of living life any other way. But I'm not sure if you are like me where I came to a point in my Christian life and experiences, man, I've been there, I've done that, I've bought the t-shirt and I'm fed up with going to conferences that gear me up to go out and be charged up for another month only to find myself back in the place where I was before. And then it dawned on me, Jesus said, go and make disciples. And it is the most enriching, most fulfilling, most rewarding thing that now for some time I have been engaged in 
that I can't tell you, I'm as happy as a pig in slop, more happier than I've ever been in my Christian experience in all of my 35 years as being a believer because the Lord has brought me and others into a place where I feel like I'm finally engaged in making disciples who make other disciples. When I came up here from Florida in 2015, I was slap burned out on the church. Burned out in the sense of ministry as a pastor in a local church because I felt like I had to gear up for the next thing to keep the people excited, to keep the people coming. And I said, Jesus, if I can't do anymore as a pastor what you've called me as a believer and a pastor to do, and that is to make disciples who make other disciples, and I don't want to do it anymore. Thank God he teamed me up with this local body who is geared and ready to make disciples who make other disciples. You see, the fact is, as we intentionally move out on Jesus' mission, and that mission is to win one, disciple one who will make another disciple so that they can send that one until we're fully engaged in his mission then we'll never be content in the Christian life. I read a lot of things as to why people are leaving the church nowadays. One of the key things, it says that it's not relevant. Listen, there's nothing more relevant than being on mission with the mission that Jesus has given to us to go and make disciples who make other disciples. Nothing. Paul put it another way. Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you to. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Paul kind of puts it in a different light, but he says the same thing in, in, in different words as he's writing the letter that he wrote to Timothy, who was a young pastor. And by the way, this was Paul's very last letter that he would be writing at the end of his ministry. And one of the things that he told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2, if I summed up, if I'm writing the last letter of my life, if I knew that I might be going home tomorrow or in the near future and I'm writing those things that are most important, I I believe that's what was on Paul's mind when he wrote to Timothy. Timothy, take the things that you've heard from me in the presence of all of these witnesses and trust them to reliable, faithful men who will be able to teach others. Timothy, if you've learned anything from me in my apostleship, and if you've learned anything from me as being a follower of Jesus, it is so vitally important that you take all of these things that you've learned from me and entrust them, place them into reliable men who will be able to faithfully pass it on to others. Think about the life and ministry of Jesus. Three years with 12 guys. A larger crowd was there, but, but primarily his 12. And I think if you were going to introduce something that you expected to change the course of history from that day forward, what would you do? I would have a plan B and a plan C if plan A didn't work out. His plan A was he invested it into the 12, and he said, I'm gone. Now it's time for you to carry it on. What did Jesus do? Jesus made disciples. 
Jesus made followers after him who would not only be able to grow in him and learn from him, apply his word in their life and follow him in obedience, but then they would take that and transfer that on to others to where we are now some 2,000 years later. Uh, Ron, if you put the diagram up there of the 2 Timothy 2 2. You all know we have the mission here at First Baptist Conyers that we are to win people to Jesus, make disciples of them, and send them. And now we are seeing that the primary way that we're going to do that is through that 2 Timothy 2-2 command. To entrust these things and the faithful men who will then entrust them to others. One of the primary things that we see in the life of Jesus is that he made disciples through meaningful relationships key phrase there meaningful relationships what is it that Jesus did during the three years of his earthly ministry he engaged in relationship on a continual basis with those 12 that he called unto himself he had other relationships outside of that we think of the 72 and the multitudes but he invested into those 12 men through relational discipleship what we find recorded in the Gospels are teachings and sermons that Jesus gave, and those were highlighted in the Gospels. But folks, there is a lot of fill time in between, fill in time in between those times that Jesus preached and he taught, and that fill in time is that he was engaged relationally with those men that were following him. Now, for this reason, I, I, I think that as we look at the process or how we're going to implement this discipleship process here at First Conyers, that it's got to be built and based around a relational discipleship model. Can I tell you something? Everything in life hinges on relationship. Whether it's in the body of Christ, in the church, or whether it's in a business relationship, whether it's in a family setting, whether or not it is in an activity setting, every single thing that we do is based on a relationship. And can I tell you why? It's because God has designed it that way. We need relationship. We see it in the Trinity, the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we have been created in His image, and He desires and purposes for us to have relationships, relational discipleship. When I was first saved, when I first came to Christ, I didn't understand anything about discipleship. I had been saved at, at about 13. Actually, I've been saved three or four times before that, you know, eight, eight years old when all the other guys were doing it. So I thought I needed to be baptized too. How many of you were like that? Every time they sang Kumbaya at youth camp, I thought I needed to be baptized again. But at 21, there was something that took place in my life, and I'm not sure whether or not that was really the day that I was saved or that was the day I made a commitment that, you know, it's all or nothing with Jesus. But shortly after that, there was a man that entered into my life, and his name was Julian. And Julian recognized that I was a young believer, and I needed to grow in my relationship to Christ, and I needed to grow in my relationship in the body of Christ. And Julian asked me, would you want to meet with me on Saturday mornings? And it was something like a golden corral where you had good breakfast, right? 
And Julian met with me every single Saturday morning and he opened the scriptures to me. He allowed me to ask questions. He applied those scriptures in my life as a husband, as at that time still a military person in my job. But he taught me how to follow Jesus in every area of my life. Later I learned that what Julian did with me was that he discipled me. But Julian knew that if somebody didn't grab me early on and disciple me, I would just become a good churchman and figure out what are the right things to do that make me look good as a good churchman, and I would have fallen into that, and I never would have grown in my relationship to Christ. I'm thankful for Julian to this day. Now, I understand that discipleship takes place in a lot of different contexts. What we're doing here this morning, in some sense, there is discipleship that's going on. But I've learned a long time ago not to flatter myself that I know that what I teach from the pulpit is remembered maybe a week later, but most likely it's fallen off the chart two weeks later, right? There's not a lot of life transformation that takes place through this. There's discipleship that takes place in the context of, of larger groups. When I, when I look at the choir, I think, man, what a, what a neat uh, group of individuals that are together. They're doing life together. They're engaged in each other's life. But that whole orb of discipleship doesn't can take place completely in that setting. How many of you are involved in a Sunday school or a small group? Let me see your hands. That's great. Well, look around you. That's phenomenal. And there's some portion of discipleship that takes place in that. But I've come to believe that the primary way and the most effective way in order for discipleship to take place, where one teaches another or demonstrates or helps another to follow Jesus as they are following Jesus, takes place in a context where there's no two and no more than three people in a group that meet together regularly with the intent of growing in discipleship. We see this pattern in Jesus' life as I look at the Scriptures. We see His ministry again with the large groups. We've been seeing that as we've been going through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday morning. We see it with, with, we know, the 72 that He sent out. But then when you break that down, you see that with Jesus with His 12, and He lost one of them, right? But then in that circle of 12, there were three that he invested his life in more than any other of the disciples that were with him. So there's a pattern there that I think we can learn through Scripture. So to reemphasize that, I think the, the best context or the most effective way that we can disciple one another is in smaller groups where there are no more than three people that are engaged in that time, meeting regularly on a frequency, and I would suggest at least once a week together, where the goal and the purpose is that we grow in relationship to Jesus as we learn to follow Him, and we grow in deeper and meaningful relationships with one another. I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to have deep, meaningful relationships outside of just a handful of people, right? I've got 4,000-something friends on Facebook. (laughs) That's stupid, isn't it? I can't possibly be in deep relational setting with 4,000 people. You can't either. 
We are in a large context in a congregation this morning, but I would venture to say there are only a handful, if that, of people that you would classify and you would say, you know what, I am in a deep, growing relationship with no more than just a few, a handful within the congregation. Is that, is that true? We developed a, a, I hate to call it this, a system that, that I think is, is key in what we want to begin to engage in in our church body. I mentioned it last week and I wanted to take today to elaborate on it just a little bit more. And that we are encouraging every one of you, every single one of you, to intentionally move to where you have at least one other person and at the most two other people that you intentionally gather with on a very frequent basis for the primary purpose of growing in your relationship to Jesus and growing in relationship to each other through that process of discipleship. Y'all really have to bear with me this morning. I'm sorry. Relationships where there are times where we get together and the only thing, guys, I'm talking to you that we talk about is, is how Alabama just really got beat down last weekend. Or how somehow or another, sometime, maybe in the next millennial, Georgia Tech's going to win another national championship, Steve. Now, those things are good and they're fun to talk about. We all do. But this is a setting where we say we are going to intentionally get together on a very frequent basis and we're going to dig down in our relationship with God as we follow Jesus and we're going to dig down in our relationships with each other as we encourage and teach, admonish one another to follow Jesus. And I'm going to lay out to you this morning this model that I introduced last week. There are three items that are needed for this. Number one... Actually, there are four. Number one, there's some folks that can get together. But number two is that when you intentionally meet together on a weekly basis, you will need your Bible. That's a good place to start, don't you think? <laughs> number two, you're going to need a little notebook that I call a moleskin notebook. I love moleskin. You know, I can't get into the new way of things. I don't put anything in my little smart device because I'm not smart enough to put it in there. I like writing it on pencil and paper. And the third thing that you're going to need is what a little booklet that has just become available. I've been working with a fellow in California on this called the Discipleship Gospel, and it is a gospel of Mark. These are the three items that you would need. And I'll add the fourth item there is you need the presence of the Holy Spirit. Somebody may ask, do we really need something new? In I mean, you, you, you Google discipleship material, and there's all kinds of discipleship material out there. And the question comes to my mind, if there's so much out there, then why are we not having such an effect in making disciples who make disciples? 
One of the frustrating things that I had come to in a number of years, I've been discipling guys for 30-something years, and, and Glenn, I think you would testify to this, is that whatever the curriculum might be, whether it be Master Life, whether it be Navigators 2-7, Campus Crusade for Christ, it's, it's easy to pour into, but the thing that I saw lacking most was that next generation, that those who had been poured into were now intentionally stepping out to make disciples themselves. So I really asked the Lord, I said, Lord, will you, will you help me come up with a system that is extremely effective, centered around the Word of God, centered around relationship, but is very transferable so that anybody can do it? The first time I went through Master Life, it was years ago, and I felt there's no way I am qualified to teach this to somebody else. You feel like you have to have a Ph.D. maybe in order to do it. But can I tell you this? Folks, every one of you are equipped to make another disciple. You know why? Because you have the Word of God and you have the Holy Spirit of God. When Jesus sent out the twelve, <laughs> there was no curriculum published. There was the Word of God, and it wasn't even in the form that we have it today. And they had the power of the Holy Spirit, and they had the Holy Spirit working in them. And they saw the necessity that Jesus has commanded, not just suggested, Jesus has commanded that I go and make disciples. It's not an option. Amen. It's not if I feel like it. It's not because it's not exciting in the sense of, a gathering or a show or anything else. Listen, it is the groundwork. It's the grunt work that you might call in the army. And that is making disciples who make other disciples. So I came up with a simple acronym. And all of these things that we're going to talk about in just the next few minutes are ingredients that would take place in that time where you meet with one or two others in order to engage in intentional relationship. And I made a very easy acronym. By the way, you have your notes for your message and your bulletin. That's not the message I'm preaching this morning, okay? But take that page and flip it over, and I want you to write this on here. I want you to write the acronym going down vertically, GRACE. And you know why I chose GRACE? Because everything in the Christian life is based on the grace of God in our lives. So write G-R-A-C-E, grace. Write it down. And I'm going to go through what these stand for. We're going to take a closer look. But real quickly, these are the five things that you and those in your group will do every single time that you're together. Number one is this. The G stands for grow through the Word of God and prayer. Scriptures are the center of it. That's what this is provided for. I'll talk more about that in just a moment. The R stands for relationships. Jesus was asked a question. What are the most important commands? And Jesus said, listen, let me tell you. You can take all of the commands, all of the law of Moses, and you can boil them down to two commands. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
If you take the Ten Commandments and you split those, they deal with those two relationships. They deal with our relationship to God and they deal with our relationship to others. And relationships are very important in your life and in my life. First of all, our relationship to God or our fellowship with God is extremely important because if that's not right, if there's something askew in your relationship or my relationship or my fellowship with God, then my relationships with everybody else are going to be messed up also. Example. If I find that Sandy's a little irritable with me, which is on most days, <laughs> you know the first thing I check is not how my relationship is with Sandy. The first thing I check is, Lord, how's my relationship with you? And, and most often out of that, I find that there's something in my fellowship that's just not right with God. And once I get that right and I humbly come before Sandy and I confess that and get it right guess what happens to that relationship in my marriage it gets better and so four key areas that I think we need to look at every day and these are all biblically based in our lives in our relationships is number one our relationship with God how's your God meter doing today the second area of relationship that are vitally important are my relationships with my family. If you're married, that's your wife. If you're not married, those are in, in your immediate family. How are my relationships doing in my family? It starts at home, right? The third relationship that is key where we involve most of our lives if you're still working is in your work relationships how are your relationships with people that God's placed you in in your life where he's called you to to work out in vocation and if you're not in at, at work anymore maybe it's the golf course up here right okay if you're retired I don't know where it is but those people that you engage with on a regular basis the next area of relationship that is vitally important is how is my relationship within the body of Christ? Can I offend some of you for a moment? I know very well right now after being here two years, there are some folks that sit on this side of the church and some folks that sit on that side. You know why? Because somewhere down the road, maybe it was in a committee meeting, I don't know, somebody got ticked off with the other and they can't stand to see each other on Sunday mornings. Now, folks, that just is not right. The Bible says, as much as depends on you, be at peace with all men. And as a local church, if we're going to be united in fulfilling the mission that Jesus has called us to, we have got to be in good relation with one another in the body of Christ. There's no greater way, I think, than to grieve the Holy Spirit of God and to prohibit His full impact and work in a body of Christ if there is not unity in relationships within the body of Christ. We will disagree on some things. Relationship, though, is far more important than who wins a debate over a matter within the church. I'm, not, I'm talking about insignificant matters. Relationships within the body of Christ. Third area we look at is accountability. 
We all need accountability. I've learned something about accountability through the years that you cannot hold me accountable. I can't hold you accountable. But you know what I can do and you know what you can do? You can submit yourself to someone else and say, I want to make myself accountable to you. You see the difference there? Where we have accountability with one another. The C stands for connect by serving. Jesus said that if you want to be great, then learn to be what? A servant of all. Did Jesus model servanthood? He sure did. And lastly, the E is engaging with the lost. That we have intentional places, that we have intentionality of engaging with those who are not a part of the body of Christ. Let me look at this first one a little bit deeper. G, grow in the Word. I felt like we had to have a guide that individuals do during the week, not during their group time, but during the week, where they are consistently in the Word of God. And this is one of the greatest little booklets I've ever seen to do that. And the reason that it is the Gospel of Mark, because there's no other Gospel that emphasizes discipleship more than the Gospel of Mark. And this is something that you and the others do during the week. And when you come together in your discipleship group time, as you've been going through the Gospel of Mark, that chapter that week, there's something, if you're open to the Holy Spirit, there's something in that chapter that the Lord will speak directly to you on. And so each member of that group, as they get together, they share that one thing in that chapter that God has spoken to them in their heart. This last week with the new discipleship group that I have begun on Wednesday mornings, the, the verse that really just hit me again was Mark chapter 1, verse 17. Follow me and I will make you disciples of men. And as I prayed through and meditated on that verse, I realized that Man, Jesus says, follow me and I will make. That is a transformative process. That as I follow Jesus, it is his work to transform me and to conform me to the likeness of Jesus. And in that, I'm going to be so excited about it that I'm going to want to go out fishing for men. So I shared that with my group. Grow in the Word. In that group time, each individual will be expected to bring something to the table. This is, you know, this is, what, this is what Jesus has spoken to me through His Word. And here is not only what He's spoken to me, but here is how I'm going to apply it in my life. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 tells us that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God is powerful. The other thing, the application part is where James says in James chapter 1 verse 22, be not just doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself, but be doers of the word. We are so full of Bible facts that it's pathetic. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying Bible facts are not important. But if a Bible fact rests there in our brain and it has no application in our life, we have missed the point of God's word.
our relationships. I've already mentioned the four areas, key areas in our life, in relationships. But during that time of meeting together, we go through and ask one another, how's your relationship with God? You know what I had to share this last week? You know what? I've let ministry time encroach in my personal relationship with God. So guys, I want you to pray for me that nothing else gets in the way of that. Guys, I want you to ask me next week, did you have regular time in fellowship with him? Or did you take your Bible time and use it to prepare a sermon? That's for me, okay? Or if you're a Sunday school teacher. Did you have meaningful fellowship and relationship with God this last week? How's your relationship with your wife? Are you loving her as Jesus loved the church, laying your life down for her? Well, yeah. Well, can I ask her? You see, I need other guys in my life that I can share these things with to say, listen, my relationship this week has been great or my relationship is terrible right now and we're not even communicating. This last week I had to go to somebody that I work with here at the church. And I had deeply offended them, not intentionally, but I, I, communication is one of my worst elements, and they all know that. I'm a horrible communicator. I've talked to one, and I thought I talked to the right one. And so I went around this other one, not intending to, and it hurt their feelings deeply. And I knew that their feelings were hurt, and I knew that I had offended them. Now I could have sat back and said, well, they just got to get over it. But I knew the Holy Spirit was telling me, you need to sit down with that person. You need to confess it, and you need to get it right. It was such a joy to sit down with that person and say, you know what? I, I, I blew this. And they said, yeah, you did. <laughs> but to know that those in my relationship with my work, to my knowledge, I have no strains there. Now, they may have strains, but that's not my business. God will deal in that. Third letter, accountability. This is where the hard questions come in. And sometimes there's got to be real trust in that group. But I need to have a group of men around me and in my life that, you know what, I can tell them anything that I am struggling with. Know that they're not going to condemn me. Know that they're not going to coddle me. Know that they're not going to say, well, that's okay, JMO. Everybody has sin in their life. But they're going to exhort, encourage me to repent and turn. And they're going to hold me accountable in that. Because I've made myself accountable to them. C. Connecting through serving. I had... Harold Danforth made the greatest comment. He said, you know, it's easy for me to serve on Sunday mornings. I'm there two hours, so I might as well do something the other hour. This is not the kind of serving we're talking about. Jesus has called us to be servants. As a matter of fact, Jesus said this. 
He said, whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the kind of servant we're talking about is when the Holy Spirit interrupts your day and you've got your agenda, you've got your plans, and he says, no, this is what I want you to do. A couple of Fridays ago, I get a call. Fridays are my day off. I got a list of stuff that I want to get done. Dr. Long calls me and says, I can't get this TV to work. Will you come over? And I wanted to say, Dr. Long, no, I can't come over right now. That's what I wanted to say. I've got stuff that I want to do. I'm off today. I'm enjoy- I, don't want to, I don't want to interrupt my day. Four hours I was there, never got the TV work. But you know what? It felt good to serve. You see, I'm convinced that real servitude means that it costs you and me something. That doesn't mean you can serve everybody, but as the Holy Spirit calls you to do that, connect by serving. The last letter is E, and it stands for engaging with the lost. Butch shared with me a, a story two weeks ago. Remember we were doing the neighboring, reach out to your neighbors? So Butcher prayed, Lord, what do I do? How, how do I reach out to my neighbor? So Butch took the time to, to write a letter out, and he put it, did you put it in the mailbox, Butch? You just violated federal law. You know that. Okay. <laughs> put a letter in all of his neighbor's mailboxes. A few months had passed, I think, right, Butch? And, and then he gets a letter back from a young mother, wife in his community. Um, who had just learned that her husband was... Can I share this, Butch? There's no name. Her husband was... She learned her husband was having an affair through a business thing down in the state of Florida, and she had just discovered it. But she writes all this in, in Butch's... in the letter to Butch, and said, Will you pray for me? Wow! You see, that was an initial step in engaging with the lost. It took some time to write the letter. It took some time to put it in the mailbox. Others have sent me emails of how they're seeing where they've intentionally gone out to engage with the loss, that God has been answering that prayer and that desire. I got a lady that I met in Waffle House a few months ago. Rough life. Happened to mention to her, we're about to pray. Glenn, you may have been with me that morning. We're about to pray. Can we pray with you? Yes. She has been hounding me to death now because her children need God in their life. Of trying to get their kids connected here in kids' life. Listen, she needs God in her life. She just doesn't realize it yet. But you know where I eat all the time now? Three eggs over medium. Scattered hash browns, bacon, and toast. Sandy's, I will not share that in the next service when she's here. Why? Because God's working there. You can do the same thing. So we share this every week. Hey, guys, here's how we're intentionally engaging with the lost. Here's the person that I'm praying for. Guys in a group, will you pray? And as we've been praying for people, we're seeing God move in their life.
These D groups that we're talking about are not intended to be a five-year coffee club. Last thing I need is another five-year coffee club in my life. But they are intended with the express purpose that we're coming together every week intentionally wanting to grow in Jesus and to follow Jesus and that if we're not yet discipling at the, in the process of time, we will then be stepping out to disciple others. One of the groups that I was meeting with on Saturday mornings for some time, I'm not sure how long we met, how many, eight months together. I recognize, you know, there's a guy in the group here, it's Medardo over here. I said, you know what, Medardo, it's time for him to stop sitting here in the group sharing that Medardo can do the same thing that I'm leading on Saturday morning. So I let Medardo know, Medardo, at the beginning of the year, I'm no longer going to be with y'all, but now I'm handing it off to you, and he's now making disciples. You see the process? Got a new group that I've started with this year on Wednesday mornings. Made up to two guys. One guy's just come to Christ in the last two weeks. Brand new. Been to church only twice in his life. Didn't know what a Pharisee was. I said, well, come to church. You'll find... No. <laughs> That's a joke. Okay. I thought, man, this is neat. The other guy that's with us is a guy that I, I disciple for several months. He's a young man, and, and he's ready. He wants to disciple, but he's there with us so that he sees us modeled. He, he gets a little bit of courage and confidence. But you know what? In six months, he is no longer allowed to meet with me on Wednesday mornings. Why? Because it's time for him to get his tail out there and do it. Y'all, this is something that's so transferable. You don't have to have a Ph.D. to do it. You don't have to know every fact about the Bible. Because it's not intended to be a Bible study where you teach. It's intended to get in the Word of God together so that you grow together in the Word of God and you encourage one another in this. In one sense, it's one of the easiest things I've ever done in my life as a Christian, but in the other sense, it's very difficult. Why? Because it costs something to invest in the lives of others. Let me wrap this up. One of the big questions that comes to me as we've been talking about this in the last couple of years is, how do I go up to somebody and say, you need to be discipled? Here are my response. You may ask the person, have you ever been discipled? That's what Julian asked me. Second way might be that, would you consider joining me and so-and-so as we meet intentionally every week because we want to grow in following Jesus and we want to learn how to reproduce ourselves? The third thing is this. Some may take this the wrong way. A selfish motive is okay. And what I mean by that is, I want to grow in Jesus, and I want to learn how to follow Him. That's not a bad motive, is it? I'd say it's a great motive. 
So, so I may find one or two other guys or ladies. You may find one or two other ladies that you have no idea where they are in their spiritual journey. But you say, listen, will you agree to meet with me and so-and-so on this day every week with the intention of learning to grow in Jesus in relational discipleship? Yes, I'd love to. I've already said it. This is not intended to be a lifelong coffee club. The third thing that I've heard is I'm already in a Sunday school class. Can I say this is not a Sunday school class? I, I, I want everybody to be in a Sunday school class or a small group. That's great. But you can't tell me that when you have 10 or 12 that you can move to this kind of level of relationship in a group that large. It just doesn't happen. It may be within the context of your Sunday school group that two or three of you get together. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time that your Sunday school class participation motivated you to call someone alongside of you and intentionally make another Jesus follower who will become a disciple maker? Most of the time it doesn't happen. It does some. So folks, what we're doing in that ain't working. You know why? Because it's not making disciples who make other disciples. Fourth thing I've heard. I don't have time. <laughs> yes, you do. And so do I. It's not a matter of I don't have time. It's a matter of are my values aligned with what God's values are? And am I willing to make adjustments with the resources that I have? And one of those resources is my time that I eliminate something else here that might be good, but it's keeping me from doing what's best. We have time to do this. Y'all, we can provide the material. We can teach each other how to do this. I can provide training for it. But the one thing I cannot do is change a person's will. Only the Holy Spirit can. So here's a question I want you to ask this morning in closing. God, is it that I'm really not willing? And if the answer is... As the Holy Spirit will resoundingly say, that you're right, you're not willing, then will you be willing to say, God, will you change my will or so I become willing? We can talk a good game about discipleship. But that's all it is, is talk. Until we begin to do it. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.